If you have your Bible still, Revelation 9, we're talking about the seven trumpets. This one, we're talking about the fifth trumpet. And I know you're excited about this one, especially after my friend Carl read it for us. You know, when Carl came to talk to me this morning about the passage, he said, Darren, this one's a tough one. Isn't it, though? But I want to start with some good news, and it's the same thing I will end with. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And because he is Lord of all, he's Lord of even this chapter. When we come to passages like this, we're like, man, this is hard. This is some seriously bad news. And yet, Jesus is still Lord even when there's bad news. I want you to hold on to that because when we begin chapter 9 with the fifth angel who's blowing his trumpet, we sort of enter a new phase. The judgments of chapter 8 were primarily on the created order. And yet now, the judgment that is going to be beginning in chapter 9 comes at the hands of an army. It's the first one of two that we'll meet in chapter 9. The next one will be uh, soon. But I want you to see this first army because their leader is a terrifying individual. Let's start with trumpet blast number five, the army from the pit. See it in verses one and two. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. This, the first of two terrifying armies, is led by an unnamed star or person. A star falls from heaven to earth. Now, the noun is masculine, even if the term is not particular. In this same verse, however, the star is given personality. He, it says. Who then is this star? It is likely that it is Satan himself. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus talks about Satan falling from heaven. He's quoting from Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14, where Satan is described as the morning star who fell from heaven. And this star who falls from heaven to earth is given the keys to the pit. And who gives him those keys? Friends, this is an amazing reality, and it's why I started where I did and why I intend to end where I will. Under the authority of the Lamb of God, he is given these keys. Even Satan is under Jesus' authority. I want you to write that down because I want you to understand that there is a false truth being perpetrated, and it's perpetrated in a lot of ways. We have this idea that Jesus and Satan are co-equals. They have the same amount of power. They're just the yin and the yang. 
one on this side, one on this. One, the forces of light, the other, the forces of darkness. And they are co-equal powers. It is not true, friends. Jesus Christ is Lord of all and always will be. There is no authority that exceeds his or even competes with him. Thus, when we see that he, this star, is given the keys to the bottomless pit, it is under the authority of the Lamb. When you feel overwhelmed by the things that are coming against you, I want you to say this, Jesus is Lord over this too. Nothing falls outside of his reach. Now let us move back to this pit. It is a transcendent netherworld that is associated with the dead and hostile powers. The term itself in Greek is abyss. It's a well-known term to the first century readers who were trained in a three-tiered cosmological system, something akin to what most of us think of. Heaven at the top, earth as the center, the abyss or hell below that. Jesus inferred such when he spoke of Gehenna, the valley in the city of Jerusalem as the place where fire never dies. It was their refuse pile. They didn't have trash trucks who would come around and gather them up. Thank God for those, those men and women who serve us in that way. But they didn't have trash trucks like that, so refuse had to be taken to a central location. It's the Valley of Gehenna. There is the place where a fire to consume those unwanted items is, is kept going. You throw your refuse on them. And so they would have understood this as a place of smoke and heat, and a place where things you don't want are placed, a place of separation, of uncomprehendable loss. And it is this pit that is given the key to the star. When the abyss is opened, smoke rises from it. It's a great furnace down below. And as the smoke rises, the sun and the moon, already dimmed by the fourth trumpet, are dimmed even further. When I was preparing to come to talk to you about this, I was thinking about our sandstorms that we have. We haven't had one in a while, praise the Lord. Don't hear me saying this, Lord, as a desire to bring this back. But I remember the first one that we had not long after we moved here, where the sun was dimmed by the power of the sand. It was unnerving for those of us who were new. It still is. Can I tell you today, my friends, it will have nothing on this day where the bottomless pit is open and the smoke rises from it. And out of that smoke, out of that, come hordes of locusts and their power. Let's be clear, friends, these aren't merely insects. They are demons in the guise of locusts. Verse 11 tells us they have a king. His name is Abaddon. And verse 11 is one that is unusual in the book of Revelation. It has a Hebrew word and the Greek translation. Both of them mean the same thing. Destruction. We don't have a lot of locusts in our part of the world, but they do in Africa. 
My friends who live in Kenya told me last year they had a swarm who came through and ate everything. They're hoarding animals, but they don't have a king. There's nobody at the front of them saying, move this way. And when they swarm, they literally will blot out the sun. This, this moment is not really locusts. For locusts that we understand don't have scorpion tails and stingers. For these locusts in Revelation 9, their power is in their tails. And it is a scorpion-type tail. We know something about scorpions here, don't we? I won't ask you to raise your hand if you found them in your home. That might be embarrassing. But I'll say this. I found them in mine. And when I find them, I go to find one of my boots. Because I have been given a great gift. A size 15 boot to deal with the problem. And when I find one with my boot, then I take a little bit of extra joy, thinking of this passage, to deal with it. How then, Darren, do you deal with it? Well, I get a running start with the boot in my hand, and I swing it, scraping the ceiling as I go, to bring down all of the force I can muster to deal with this scorpion. Because after all, if you've ever been stung by one, you know, for such a little varmint, and I mean varmint, they create a lot of havoc, don't they? And they're sneaky. They hide in the dark places. They will attack mammals much larger than themselves. Their first line of defense is their claws, but they will use their sting to try to neutralize their prey. And here's the worst part of all. I didn't know that until this until this week. When we were doing nuclear testing in the 1960s, we found that these scorpions will survive a nuclear blast. You can't even get rid of them that way. But here's the thing. As awful as their power is, their power is limited. I want you to walk with me through this because I want you to see something. A lot of times we sell ourselves down the river talking about how terrifying this is, about how awful it would be, and indeed that's right. But I want you to see their power is limited. I'm going to give you several things they can do, and then I'm going to give you several things they can't do, all right? Let's start with what they can. They can inflict pain on those without God's seal for up to five months. So says verse 5. Now, why five months, Darren? That's a rather random period. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us, so it's sort of speculation. We don't really know but we know this, the locust lifespan, generally speaking, is May to September, five months. Perhaps that's all the lifespan that they have been given. And so they can torment them for five months. But I want you to see what I've said here. They can only torment those without God's seal. If you belong to the Lamb... These scorpions hold no fear for you. 
I don't know if that's good news for you, but I'll say amen. Because I want to tell you, to think about being stung by a scorpion for five months is a terrifying prospect. Here's something else they can do. They can torment those whom they sting until they prefer death to life. So says verse 6. They would wish for death, it says. And that desire for death is because their pain has become so overwhelming, so all-consuming, that they simply would rather die. Here's another thing they can do. They can terrify those whom they strike with their appearance. We'll talk more about how they look in just a moment. But I want you to notice that, that overwhelming sense of terror that comes from just how they look. That's all they can do. Now, let's talk about what they cannot do, all right? First of all, they cannot harm the grass or any green plant. Now, chapter 8 had one-third of them being wiped out. But let's praise the Lord that they don't get to go any further because locusts, as I understand them, they'll eat anything. Anything green is fair game for them. Not these locusts. They can't harm things. Here's the second thing they cannot do. They cannot harm those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. They can only harm those who have the seal. They cannot harm those who are God's. If you are a part of the Lamb, you are safe from the locust. You need not fear them. Here's the third thing. They can only harm them for five months. Their lifespan is limited. It's restricted. Now you might say, well, Darren, five months is nearly half a year. That's more than a quarter. And yet, five months ago, it was Christmas. Seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? I want you to rejoice in the fact that they are limited to five months. Here's the last thing. They cannot kill their victims. Now, who set these parameters, Darren? Well, apparently the lamb did. Here we are again. We see the power of the seal. The power of the seal, the marker that the people of God wear, that we were introduced to in Revelation 7, identifies those who belong to the Lamb. And if you wish to avoid the terror that associates with these awful trumpet judgments, then prepare accordingly. Let the Lamb's seal fall on you. Well, Darren, how do I even do that? You call on the name of Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, just like you saw Mauricio in the video that you saw a little while ago. Can I tell you, my friends, this day, this moment is the day God has given you for responding to him. Maybe you've never had the seal on you. Today is your day. Now, we have some people in our world today that would say, but I don't want to be marked. I don't want to belong to any team. Well, by 
choosing to not belong to any team, you're choosing to not belong to the Lamb, and thus putting yourself in view of the bottomless pit and the locusts who come from it. I would be wrong to not warn you about that. Moreover, it would not be loving to not tell you the truth. As your pastor, as your friend, let me tell you, I want you to miss this. I want you marked with the seal of the Lamb. Because the appearance, the terrifying appearance of these locusts will cause us to recognize just how awful they are. The description that we have of the locusts is one that we don't have a parallel to elsewhere in Scripture. They are, as it were, instruments of judgment. This unholy swarm looks as horses dressed for battle. They're adorned with gold crowns or wreaths. They have human faces and long hair. They have lion's teeth and breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings is like the sound of chariots charging into battle. Friends, this day, when they make their appearance, it will be a terrifying day. And worst of all, they will be led by a king. You heard his name, Apollyon, Abaddon, Satan. Whatever name you choose to hang on him, we'll call him Destroyer, for that's what his name means. He is the king of the locust. Verse 11, where John provides his name both in Hebrew and Greek, perhaps John had in mind a bilingual approach so that when people, whoever they might be, read this, they would understand that John was speaking of one who destroys. Herein, Revelation 9 is perhaps the fullest expression of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The nexus of the destruction of the fifth angel's trumpet lies in the work of the destroyer and the locusts who come with him. And you might say, Darren, I was really hoping for a happier talk. I was too. So let's end with a happier talk. How about that? Let's start with this to take home. Jesus Christ holds the keys to death and hell. All things are under his authority. This, friends, is the truth we hold on to, that we anchor ourselves to, and that we say, these things I don't understand, but I got this one. And instead of being so torn up about what I don't know, let me grasp on to that which I do. And what do I know? What do I know? Well, according to Revelation 1, Jesus Christ holds the keys to death and hell, and all things are under his authority. Here's something to celebrate. 
Here's the second thing to celebrate. For those in Christ, these warnings hold no fear. Stand firm then in Christ's love for you and eagerly look ahead. What, Darren, you might say, I do rejoice that I am in Christ. But there are many that I know, maybe even in my own family, who don't wear the seal of the Lamb. Then let this word today be the impetus you need to say, I will share the hope of Jesus Christ. I will tell them how they can avoid it. I will bring the hope of the life of the gospel to them because I know what waits for them if they don't respond. The hardest reality in my journey as a pastor is to see these warnings and to talk with people about these warnings and to warn them about the destruction that lies ahead and to hear them say, I'd rather go to hell, that's where my friends are. That kind of flippance that kind of whatever may come is the kind of destruction that awaits for those who do not have the seal. Don't let that be true for you, friends. Let your love in Christ secure your future and your present. Stand firm in God's love for you and the gift of Christ's grace let it be the theme of your days and let it govern your choices and your words. And finally, all timing is God's timing. We can trust God to make all things right at just the right time. When will these things come to pass? We don't know that, but we do know this. It will be sooner than some are ready. It will arrive, and there will be people saying, oh, oh, wait, 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 not yet, not yet. Have you ever known those people who were born 30 minutes late and they haven't caught up yet? Well, that's fine if you're going to a restaurant or a ball game or maybe even to church. But it'll be too late in this context. And today, I want to give you the chance to respond. To say, oh, Darren, I don't want this. I don't want those locusts with the stinging tail coming looking for me. Then be marked by the grace of Christ. It's not a penalty to admit that you need a Savior. Jesus calls you to himself with a simple invitation. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't ask for anything other than all of you, but he gives you life for now and all eternity. So I ask you now, friends, what will you do with the Lamb? Remember, Revelation has two aspects. A word of encouragement for those in Christ, a word of warning for those who are not. Which is it for you? 
If you're here today and you'd say, I need Jesus in my life. I need the mark of the Lamb on my forehead. I need to know that this reality will not be mine. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, as soon as this service is over, come out and find me standing right outside in this welcome center. Find one of my staff. You can see Brian seated right down here. He'll be waiting for you as well. We have staff members all over these two foyers right outside these doors, hoping, waiting, praying to talk with you. Maybe you're not in this building and you want to. Then pick up your phone and text the name Jesus to 315-0092. We got staff members on that line too. We've been hoping and praying to hear from you, waiting all week for this very moment. And now... It's your turn. What will you do with the Lamb? Maybe you've made a decision for Christ, but you saw Mauricio's baptism at the start of the service and you realized you've never done that. Come talk to us about how you can take that first step of Christian obedience. Perhaps you want to be a part of this church family. Oh, nothing would make me happier. Come talk to us about that. Maybe in this invitation prayer, you need to talk to the Lord. I pray you'll use it that way. Pray with me, won't you? So today, Jesus, we proclaim your goodness, your authority. your supremacy. In being honest, Lord, looking at this passage, we would say, Lord, that's terrifying. It's the kind of thing bad dreams are made of. Movies that scare us. We know, Lord Jesus, that you are in charge, even over chapter 9. So my prayer today, Lord, is for those who are feeling that kind of fear, that they would respond to you in faith, that they would choose you over any and everything else. I pray today, Father, for those that are seated before me and for those that are watching us on live stream or on a later broadcast, that you, Jesus, because of who you are, would show your grace, your mercy, and your kindness. I pray for those who need to respond that they would do it today, knowing this is all we're promised. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us that privilege, and so now, in this moment, we choose you. We're grateful, Jesus, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.